Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, this is another episode of the Believe in Padres Prospects Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. This is episode 68, and there's no Wade again. So Wade has the week off to do Wade things. Luckily, we have on the show special guest Kyle Glazer from Baseball America. The Instructional League has wrapped up, but we're going to go over you know, the state of minor league baseball changes to the upcoming season with uh, realignment and pay scale changes. He's uh, he's written an article on Baseball America and he did a podcast that we're going to talk about um, the slight pay increase for minor leaguers and other little perks that they've been missing out on that they finally get. And then who's been doing what for the Padres at the instructional league covering all that good stuff. But before we get into that, yesterday was when the horrible news came out that uh, Mike Clevenger was going to have Tommy John surgery. So it came simultaneously with the news that he was re-signing with the Padres on a two-year deal. Uh, I'm sure if you guys are paying attention to the news, and I think all of you are, that you saw this on Twitter. It, it was kind of a one-two punch. You get Clevenger locked up, nice, and then immediately following in the same article you're you're reading that he's also having Tommy John surgery. He's going to miss the entire season. It's a two-year deal. It's a sweetheart deal, $11.5 million. But he's missing it, – it's, it's very similar to what they did with um, Garrett Richards. So the thing with Garrett Richards was though he's not – he didn't have the pedigree that Clevenger has. And I guess the Padres already knew that Clevenger was going to need this surgery. I'm guessing they knew a long time ago. I, I don't, my first reaction is I don't know why the Potters are doing this deal. This is when you did it with Garrett Richards, there was a very clear plan in place. We're not competing this year anyway. He's going to stick around with the club. He's going to help us out next year. This time, um, the club expects to win right now. And so I, I guess they want to build some goodwill with Mike Clevenger. They want to make sure he sticks around for next year when the window is still open and it's a, it's a good deal, but Pitchers coming off of Tommy John in their first season back are never 100% and they are never allowed to pitch as many innings or throw as many pitches per start as they would coming off of a healthy season. It's just the way it is. You, you kind of hold them back a little bit and I don't know if he's even going to have the same stuff he had pre-surgery and the success rate for Tommy John surgery is very good. Now it's not 100%. People like to think that it's just hundred percent and like, Oh, just get the surgery. Even if you don't need it. And that's a very tired opinion on Tommy John surgery. It's still a risk. And I know that the success rate is very good. They've made a lot of advances with it, but then even if he does come back all the way, hundred percent, it's likely not going to be in the first year. And that's that, that takes him through this entire uh, restructuring of his contract those two years. So it's just very worrisome. Lamette is, uh, has been a ticking time bomb for a while. And when he ends the season on the, on the shelf, also unable to pitch in the postseason, that's concerning. So now this huge one, two punch that the Padres had to look forward to 
um, it's all up to Lament right now. And now people are saying now it's even more important to go sign Trevor Bauer or sign other big name starting pitchers who are available, like go get you Darvish or go get um, Cole Hamill. I don't, I don't know what the what the Padres do here. This is a very tough situation to be in, where the team is built to win, but you don't have the starting pitching. So we saw what happened last year in the playoffs. They're just completely overmatched without Lament and Clevenger. Do you go get another starting pitcher to take Clevenger's spot, or do you kind of promote from within? And I would err on the side of promoting from within and hope that you know this is the year that nobody expects us to win, but they the pieces are all there and we get good performances out of from out of guys that we need them from. So I'm thinking Luis Patino, Mackenzie Gore, Adrian Morihone. Somebody's got to step up eventually. These are these have been the best prospects in the organization for a very long time. And someone's gotta step up. Guy goes down, that doesn't mean you just go sign another ace starting pitcher and then Lamet gets hurt. Okay, well let's just let's go sign another starting pitcher or, or get the farm system to trade for another ace starting pitcher. You're going to run out of talent and out of money really quickly. And with the money situation this year, I don't even think there is a whole lot of money to spend. I think that's why they prioritize signing Clevenger to this really team-friendly deal and hope he'll be available next year and hope that built enough goodwill for him to stick around even longer term. So I don't think the answer is going out and just buying new crap because we lost a starting pitcher. Uh I think you just I think you have to stick it out with what you have right now and it sucks but I wouldn't make any rash decisions uh this soon to hearing the news. All that being said, let's get into the Kyle Glazer interview. Before we do that, of course, our friends who are sponsoring the show, Bet Online would like a word. The NFL is in full swing. And even though you might not be at the game, if you live in California, you're definitely not at the game, but you can still bet on the action. I know I do at betonline.ag from game spreads and totals, to team player coaching props, bet online gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casino. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of the great signup bonuses. That's betonline.ag sign up today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, here is Kyle Glazer. Back with us for our first off-season chat is friend of the show, Tory Pines' finest, Kyle Glazer. Kyle, are you working from home or are you enjoying some November Masters? Uh, I'm working from home. Oh, it's unfortunate. What are you? Uh, what are you working on these days? Anything uh, coming out in BA upcoming? I was going to ask you at the end of the show, but since we're here. Yeah, we're actually currently grinding away on the BA Prospect Handbook for 2021. Uh, we've got the top tens going up at baseballamerica.com right now. And we're all just writing the uh, the Prospect Handbook chapters. I'm responsible for the Padres as usual, uh, the Dodgers as usual, and I added the Cubs as well this year. So uh, it's fun working with some old systems, adding a new system. And, uh, you know, obviously this is a very, very challenging year to do prospect rankings considering no one played a game. Uh, but between information from the alternate sites and instructional league and, um, you know, just seeing how a lot of these guys did in the majors, there's enough that went on that, you know, evaluators have a feel for at least some of these guys. But again, there's a lot of players who didn't get a chance to do anything this year. And it, it's hard to get a read on where those guys stand. Yeah, I was going to ask you, is it challenging to have all these different teams that you're now responsible for 
coming up with these lists when we literally didn't get to see, you know, maybe 95% of them play this year unless they got, they happen to get called up. Yeah, it's very difficult. You know, normally the process for us at Baseball America is, you know, when we are working on a certain team's list, we talk to a lot of sources within that organization, you know, farm directors, field coordinators, um, managers and coaches in the system, um, high level evaluators as well, the front office. Um, but that's only really half of the equation. We also do a lot of discussions with scouts from opposing teams who are seeing these players, who are evaluating these players, um, and not just, you know, on the ground scouts, but scouting directors getting kind of the, the 30,000 foot view of how organizations view these. So that's a critical component of this. And we don't really have that this year. Again, certain teams shared data from the alternate site and shared video from the alternate site. So there were some opposing scouts who saw some guys that way and they're able to provide some information. Instructional league uh, scouts from opposing teams are allowed in uh, on a team by team basis. but the majority of teams let opposing scouts in. So we are able to get those looks a little bit, but obviously getting it off of, you know, some video looks and, you know, a couple games of instructional league is very, very different than a 140 game season where you're seeing guys go through the ebbs and the flows and battling, you know, slumps and how they respond and dealing with the dog days of summer. So uh, we are able to get some feedback from opposing evaluators but again, it's just not the same because the season isn't the same. I saw some video. I haven't seen much of anything or heard much of anything in instructional league. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get you here, because you have the ability to talk to a bunch of these guys that we don't as fans. Um, I saw some video of CJ Abrams and they were playing. Uh, it looks like it was at Chase Field, which is interesting because I just assumed they were all at the the spring training sites. But there was like a coach behind the the pitching mound and um it, it just looked really bizarre it didn't even look like spring training it looked like a, a practice what do you get from the sense of the level of baseball being played there and how seriously teams and players are taking it yeah i mean look these are professionals a lot of these guys are just so excited to be back out on the field and uh some of the guys that are there were also at the alternate site and that was just very monotonous you know seeing the same guys over and over again at the same field every day Whereas instructional league, you're facing different teams, you're facing different pitchers, you're going to different stadiums. So uh, there's definitely some excitement for these guys to be playing real baseball again. Um, but it's really, really tough because you just have such a, a wide breadth of experience, the types of guys who are on these teams. You know, some of these teams have some guys who have double A AA and triple A experience. And then there's other teams that have guys who haven't played a professional game yet. Um, you know, there was a game, just to use a Padres example, not too long ago, where, you know, Reggie Preciado and Ismael Mina, uh, two international signees, very talented, but they're 17 and 18 and have yet to play a professional game. They're tasked with facing, you know, Bobby Miller and Jordan Sheffield on the Dodgers. Well, Sheffield's been to double A and Bobby Miller was a first round college pick this year of, you know, it, it's when you have 23, 24 year olds facing 17, 18 year olds, it's, it's tough because, of course, the 17, 18-year-olds looked overwhelmed. That doesn't mean anything against them, but they're just facing guys who are at a completely different level of experience and, and physical development. So um, it's, it's hard to get a gauge sometimes. And so I think the way a lot of people are looking at it instructs is give credit to the guys who look good, but don't ding guys who don't look good because a lot of these guys are, are facing – levels of pitching they've never seen before they've had a year off in some cases it's 
it's it's good to get them out there, but you don't want to go crazy over anything that happens because of the circumstances of instructs this year. I think for some of the players, obviously it's going to depend on a, a player by player case. Like some guys will probably really benefit from being overmatched, maybe a chance for ser- some serious growth. And some players, maybe it hurts their development a little bit. We don't really know yet. Everybody's different. Um, but it seems like from the roster that the Padres sent over there, not many guys from the USD alternate site went. I think there was only a, a handful. Is is the point of this Instructs League just to literally get their younger guys or guys that weren't at in, uh, the alternate sites just a chance to play for a month and a half and just keep those skills semi-sharp? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is an opportunity for... You know, the guys who didn't get two to three months of, of good solid work at the alternate site, some semblance of of gameplay. Um, there are a couple guys on the roster. You know, the Padres brought some guys like, you know, Blake Hunt to the alternate site later in the year. And they got, you know, I think a couple weeks and he's on the Instructs roster. So there are a couple guys. But but yeah, for the most part, this is the guys who, you know, were working out at home all year. And, and this is really their only chance to get some form of organized gameplay and, and professional instruction, hands-on instruction, I should say. So, yeah, I mean, that's the priority for Instructs, uh, really for, for every team, not just the Padres. One thing I read was the Padres are being more aggressive with the number of total games they're playing. I think they're playing six times a week. Have you heard anything about the, I mean, I, I didn't even know it was an option. You can make your own schedule, I guess. Um, different from everybody else's, but have you heard anything about why the Padres are being so aggressive and why they're bringing, bringing such a big roster over? I mean, they want to get as many players experience as possible. Yeah. The Padres are playing the most games of any team in instructional league. Uh, I believe they have the biggest roster and if it's not the biggest roster, it's darn close. I mean, every team approaches instructional league a little differently, right? I mean, you had some teams who, you know, for them, it was more about getting, you know, their instructors, some in-person work with a lot of these kids. And the games were, I want to say, a side effect of being there, but they weren't necessarily the priority. It was more about the the instruction and then, okay, and then give them, you know, X number of games to just kind of continue that. Whereas other teams view this as an opportunity of, hey, we want to get as many guys, as many live looks as possible against real competition. So some of it's organizational philosophy. But yeah, I mean, the Padres, absolutely. They they scheduled the most games of any team. And I do believe they have the biggest roster of any team as well. This almost seems like preparation for the impending big blow up of the minor league baseball system as we know it, where we're going to the Padres are going to lose. um you know, probably a couple teams and they already kind of say that they're going to lose the, the rookie ball teams. I, I've, I lost track of when they said that, but um, there's going to be contraction. There's going to be a realignment. And this kind of seems like they're going to be, this is you know, the, the, the stone before uh, all the, the whole boulder comes crashing down. Um, do you have an idea of when we're going to get details on when all of these changes are going to be made official? Yeah, so the scuttlebutt is we're probably looking late November, early December. At some points, uh, it had been said that we might get something middle November that's now been pushed back, you know, November 30th, December 1st. But uh, as JJ Cooper and I discussed on our latest podcast at Baseball America, um, the structure is is set. We know what the structure for the most part is going to be. That's not what the negotiations are over right now. The negotiations are over more the economic side of things, uh, franchise valuations. You know, our, our most recent stories are about 
how clubhouse uh, attendance are going to be paid, what the food spreads are going to be like. I mean, the structure of the minor leagues is not what's being negotiated. That's going to be four full season teams for every major league team. So every team will have a triple A AAA team, a double A team, a high A team and a low A team full season. And uh, the right now it is one rookie ball team in the complex levels and one rookie ball team in the Dominican summer league. So, in the Padres case, that would mean no short season Tri-City. Short season leagues are getting eliminated. The That's only great. non-full season leagues will be what's at the complex. But again, the structure is, is it's not official official, but it's essentially official. One AAA team, one AA team, one high A team, one low A team, a complex level team, whether that's AZL or GCL, and a Dominican Summer League team. Again, not official. Things can change in the next two to three weeks. But as of right now, that's where it stands. Yeah, I saw you and JJ did a podcast about um, a bunch of these changes, especially with the the, the payment changes to the minor leaguers. Um, I haven't had a chance to listen to the whole thing, but I was reading a little bit about it on BA. Also, do you want to just give us a, a quick uh, teaser of like what you and JJ talked about? And I know I, t- I talked about it in our pod a few days ago. It seems like if this is how you're saving money to get players a small boost in pay it, it's it's such a half measure or, or not even a full half measure to what these guys need for a living wage um I, I don't know what else the players can do other than the mlb players union chipping in to help out somehow but they don't want to lose money either so I, I don't know where did the conversation kind of lead you and jj the other day well we were mostly just trying to provide information to people because there's a lot of misinformation about this out there uh, some sites have thrown around the phrase death of the minor leagues ir- irresponsibly, in my opinion, and people have interpreted that interpreted that to mean, oh, there's not going to be minor leagues. Yes, there's going to be minor leagues. Um, people have said Major League Baseball is taking over the minor leagues. That just means that, you know, there's no central minor league baseball office in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's all that's going to move to the MLB offices in New York, but that just means MLB is going to be in charge of marketing deals. They're going to deal with scheduling. They're going to deal with, you know, if there's any disputes between clubs or leagues. It just means that the behind-the-scenes operations are moving to New York. Um, the truth is, if you're a fan of a minor league team that is keeping its affiliation, you're not going to notice anything different. The Lake Elsinore Storm are still going to be the Lake Elsinore Storm now. What level are the Lake Elsinore Storm at? That might change. There's there's a lot going on in terms of you know certain teams that have been you know high A or double A. They might move levels, and you might get a different caliber of player. But it's not like you know the Lake Elsinore Storm are going away. The the you know Southern Riverside County is keeping its baseball team. So um, it's more about the cities that are losing teams with an MLB affiliation. You know, those might have to become independent league teams or college summer wood bat league teams, which is obviously a lot less valuable. Um, but but for the most part, our podcast was us just trying to clear up misinformation about this is what the structure is going to look like. Yes, there will be high and low. A. Yes, there will be rookie ball. Um, the discussions are about the financial aspects, some of which you talked about. It was, it was really just about that. And then. You know, in regards to the financial aspects, I think we do have to be fair to MLB here. I think the re- the reflex everyone has is that if MLB is doing something, it's bad. We've talked about there's a, a lot of minor league stadiums out there that are gorgeous, that are great places for the community to come together and watch a baseball game 
and, and really enjoy, you know, having baseball in their community. And, and, and it's a great thing. There are also lots of minor league stadiums and franchises out there that play in decrepit stadiums where the local community doesn't care. And frankly, the operation is, is amateurish. I, I can't tell you how many minor league teams I, I've come across where, I mean, they're, you know, it's just, it's bad. It's really, really bad. I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah. And I, I don't have an issue and I don't think it's a bad thing that major league baseball is saying, Hey, there's a certain standard that if you're going to host the players we're trying to develop, they need weight rooms that are up to par. They have to have, you know, a setup with, with, you know, hitting tunnels and, and pitching and pitching tunnels, uh, just better quality facilities on the travel. So major league baseball has put forth proposals to ensure that the clubhouses are going to be nicer, that the travel setup is going to be better in terms of buses and planes and, and making sure these guys aren't on 14 hour bus rides on a turnaround day on a getaway day. Um, so I think major league baseball has done a lot of good things with their proposals that we have up on the site at baseballamerica.com to ensure that it's just a higher quality of living for the players throughout the season and they keep more money in their pockets. It should never have been on them to pay the clubhouse attendance. That that should be a team situation. And the new proposal makes it that way. So there are some very good things in this proposal. And I think Major League Baseball did do a good job in saying to certain minor league franchises, look, if you're not going to invest in your facility, there's no reason for us to do business with you. The issue that comes is... Major League Baseball, we have to see what the final 120 minor league team list is. They might be taking some successful franchises and turning them into independent league teams while keeping some franchises that don't draw very well. And that, to me, is where there's an issue. You know, the early proposal list took some some teams that draw two, 3,000-plus fans a game and eliminated them while keeping some teams in the Florida State League who are lucky to draw 500 fans a game. But they did that because they valued facilities quality over fans. And I think that's where Major League Baseball is going to run into some problems here for the long-term growth of the game. Taking baseball away in communities like Chattanooga, potentially, which draw well. Again, Chattanooga, I'm not saying they're on the final 120, but that's just an example of a team that was on the initial 120 list. And it doesn't make sense to me, and it, and it is harmful long term to the game to take away, you know, affiliated franchises from these places that do successfully 2,000, 3,000 fans a game while keeping the ones that draw 500 fans a game. That's where I think there, there's an issue. But I think that trying to improve facilities quality, trying to improve the quality of life for players in terms of food, travel, and housing. And telling some of these minor league operators, hey, this facility is not acceptable, fix it or we're not doing business with you. I think Major League Baseball is fully within their rights to do that. And I actually think they should have done that a long time ago. Sounds like uh, we'll have to wait and see, I guess, and see what happens. Just be patient with MLB and, and the minors. And it, it, it could be a, a less is more um, situation where, like you, like you said, we're, we're getting rid of some of this um, some of these facilities that aren't up to, to standards and we end up getting a healthier version of minor league baseball as a result. I guess we'll, we'll have to find out, but it's good stuff. And I, I encourage everybody to go listen to your full podcast on baseball America with JJ Cooper. Um, back to the instructional leagues for a little bit. 
pottery fans, I mean, they care about one thing who's doing well at the, at the instructional site. Who have you been talking to that's been, uh, chatting up or, 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 uh, telling you good things about guys. Maybe you haven't ex- didn't expect or haven't had that much information on or, um, who, who's making the most noise for the Padres at the instructional league. Yeah. So keep in mind that for the most part, the pitchers are ahead of the hitters in instructional league, just because hitters haven't had their timing, uh, really come around yet. In some cases they didn't really play enough games to get their timing back. But, um, there are a couple of young pitchers who have done some good things and gotten some good reviews. Um, two Mexican pitchers, uh, first and foremost, uh, Efrain Contreras, a right-hander, and Omar Cruz, a left-hander. Uh, both these guys uh, saw time at Fort Wayne last year, performed very, very well. Uh, and they've been two of the better pitchers for the Padres in instructional league. Uh, Contreras, his stuff has ticked up a little bit. You're starting to see more 92-93, touching 95-96. He's always thrown three pitches for strikes. He can really command the fastball. And now that his stuff has ticked up a little bit, it's it's looking real. He's he's probably been the biggest riser of anyone in camp. Um, and Omar Cruz is, is someone that's been identified to me as a sleeper for a couple of years. You know, the Padres signed him. He was, you know, a young kid who, you know, was throwing 85, 86. He's gotten a little bigger, gotten a little stronger. And now it's 89-93. Um, the fastballs, you know, getting some swings and misses, has a little carry through the zone. He's got a big curveball, and again, left-handed strike thrower. He's got changeup as well, left-handed strike thrower with three pitches. So uh, those are two two younger pitchers that have done some good things and have drawn some positive reviews in camp. Um, Reese Kinnear is another pitcher who has been a bit of a of a breakout, if you will. He's interesting. He was a, a two-way player at Fordham. Uh, he was their stud reliever as a freshman, their number two starter as a sophomore, and their number one starter as a junior. And he was in the lineup at second base or designated hitter on the days he didn't pitch. And we see a lot of these two-way college guys, once they start focusing on pitching only, the velocity ticks up. Really, everything ticks up because they're just focused on pitching only. Um, he made his debut last year. They pushed him to Elsinore, his full season debut, I should say. And, and it wasn't great, but um, again, it was kind of an aggressive assignment for a guy who had never been really a full-time pitcher before. And, you know, he took his licks, uh, but he's made some adjustments. He's come back to instructional league and uh, by all accounts, the stuff is ticked up. Um, he would, he, sh- when I saw him at Elsinore, he was 91 to 95 um, now he's more 93, 96 sliders getting a little better. And, and the big thing with him is control. Um, again, just as a guy who hasn't been a full-time pitcher and, you know, still just kind of learning that, that the control is really starting to come around. So, you know, the fastball's ticked up, the sliders ticked up, the controls ticked up, um, all, all promising developments. So those are the three main guys. Uh, just those, those pitchers have really gotten a, a good amount of buzz as sort of risers, if you will, in instructional league. Buzz is good. I love hearing buzz. Two guys I wanted to ask you about who aren't there, but are still Padres prospects and pretty good ones. Luis Campuzano. What's what's going to happen with him this upcoming season? I, I know a lot of Padre fans are are begging for him to make the roster somehow. I don't know how that happens, but what, what do you see the, the plan for Campuzano? And then Michelle Baez, who I haven't heard anything about in like a year. I expected him to be in the bullpen this year. He wasn't. What, what are they doing with Michelle Baez? Uh, yeah, well, to start with Camposano, uh, first and foremost, his legal situation has to sort itself out. Um, yeah. as, as Kevin A.C. with the Union Tribune reported, uh, he was arrested and charged with felony marijuana possession in his native Georgia. 
and that's got to sort itself out. So, um, you Not know, great. it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's first and foremost. Um, but on talent, he's, he's a very, very talented young player. He really made some strides defensively this year at the alternate site. No one doubts this kid's going to hit. Uh, he pummels baseballs. He's crazy strong. So, yeah, you know, in a perfect world, maybe he he goes to AAA and gets a full season's worth of at-bats because, you know, if you're the Padres, Austin Nola is going to be your everyday catcher and you don't want him only playing twice a week. But um, just kind of have to, you know, see how the roster shakes out and, you know, what moves they make in terms of signing a potential backup. There's so many moving pieces here, but in a perfect world, again, you don't want him playing twice a week. You want him getting every day at bats uh, as talented as he is. He still has yet to play above high a there's still development. So um, again, really good player has a bright future could definitely help the major league team this year, but um, have to see how this legal situation sorts out and then, see how the roster kind of comes together and, and where it makes the most sense to start him. And yeah, Michelle Baez is someone who definitely, uh, I think a lot of people were hoping would take a step forward and really seize a bullpen job for the Potters this year. Uh, in 2019, I uh, uh, held opponents scoreless, I believe in 19 of his 24 appearances looked like he'd found his role and this year when the Padres bullpen was struggling and they needed some arms, it was telling they were calling up a lot of guys and he was kind of not the first guy in the pecking order. He did come up, he did pitch in the majors this year, but it was only three games and it wasn't very good. The short version for Michelle Baez is uh, the breaking stuff just never got better. His fastball still, you know, 95, 97. He's got a pretty good changeup, but Curveball and slider, I mean, just they're well below average major league pitches. They just never took a step forward. They're, you know, and that kind of limits him. There's a lot less hope that he'll ever be a starter just because if you can't at least land a breaking ball. I mean, you think about Chris Paddock and, and you know, how much he's a two-pitch pitcher, but, you know, he can get his curveball in the strike zone and still throws it, you know, 8 to 10% of the time. You know, Baez is, is behind even that. Just the breaking balls just aren't there. So because of that, it's pretty purely a reliever. And again, it's, you know, it's a big body, long limbs. The control's pretty inconsistent. You know, there's days he throws the ball over the plate, but it, when he has to hit, really hit a spot, whether he'll do it or not, it's, it's hit or miss. Um, yeah, it, there's no question there were there were higher expectations for him this year, and he just never quite broke through in the way people hoped. So, kind of just have to try again next year. Uh, he's still prospect eligible for us at Baseball America. He is going to be in the Potters' top thirty. You know, you don't want to give up on a huge guy with you know ninety five, ninety seven, and a good changeup. Who, you know, again in a the last time he had a regular year in 2019, he actually pitched pretty well. Again, 19 uh, scoreless appearances and uh, 24 outings. So um, you don't want to crush a guy for for having a tough time with everything going on this year. But there is a, a bit of a, hey, you know, 2021, you kind of need him to take a step forward. He's an older guy and, you know, you kind of want to see him seize the role that the opportunity in front of him. This isn't Padres related, but I think it, it was noteworthy enough to talk about with you, especially since you were very active with it on Twitter. Um, I remember when the Padres were interviewing GM candidates bef- before they hired Preller, 
it was the first time I heard the name Kim Ang, who was working for the MLB office at the time. And she has experience with other teams um, in the past. But what did you think about the Marlins hiring her to be their new GM? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's groundbreaking in a couple of different ways. I think the biggest thing with her is she's just very, very well respected in the game. I mean, she's been in baseball for for 30 years. Uh, she's been a part of, you know, some really, really good teams and really, really top tier organizations. I mean, she was a Dodgers, you know, VP and assistant GM. Uh, she worked under Brian Cashman with the Yankees. Uh, she was an assistant GM there. I mean, she she has World Series rings. She has 30 years of experience. Again, you know, and she's been someone that people have talked about for a long time as a potential GM candidate. She's interviewed for a couple different teams, a couple different openings. And I will say there was definitely a sense within the baseball community that it was only a matter of time. And her time came again. I think, you know, a lot of people are going to focus on, you know, first female, first Asian American, which is certainly huge. Uh, and again, it's it's groundbreaking. Um Again, you know, you talk about anyone with, you know, 30 years of front office, front office experience and three World Series rings. That's that's a great candidate. And uh, she fits that bill. And, you know, she she definitely uh, has a good team to work with. The Marlins made the playoffs this year, albeit short in season. But they have some really good young pitching. Uh, we put the Marlins top 10 prospects up today at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, we have them as a top 10 farm system. So, um you know, she has a really good kind of working uh, working group of talent to work with, and she's got a lot of great experience, and uh, it's a great opportunity for her. And I know a lot of people in the game are very happy to see her receive this opportunity and, and felt she deserved it. Is this the first good move Derek Jeter's made since he took control of the Marlins? No. I mean, again, I, I think – I like to try Derek Jeter whenever possible. Yeah, again, you know, the the Marlins deserve a lot of credit for kind of, you know, the, the players and the coaching staff for dealing with everything they dealt with this year. Um, obviously, you know, it, there's an argument it might have been self-inflicted. We, we don't know the full circumstances of how everything kind of spread, but I wouldn't go that far. You know, again, trading Giancarlo Stanton – you know, that's something that obviously was was difficult. Um, you follow up with Real Muto and, and Ozuna, but, you know, getting Sixto Sanchez for JT Real Muto was, was a very, very nice move. Getting Sandy Alcantara in the deal for Marcelo Ozuna, that was, you know, an excellent trade. Now they traded Ozuna to the Diamondbacks, which they probably shouldn't have done. But, um, you know, they've actually done some good things and, and put together a good pitching staff through some of these trades. So... I wouldn't say this is the first good thing Jeter has done. There's There's been some promising moves made for the Marlins. What, what was the deal for Yelich? What, did Monty Harrison and some other things go back in the deal for Yelich? I don't have it off, offhand. Yeah, that one has not worked out. That was <laughs> Yelich for Lewis Brinson, Isaac Diaz, Monte Harrison, and Jordan Yamamoto. And yeah, look, that one, that, that was a mistake. You should never trade a, a guy with five years of control like that. You know, the argument I had made at the time is, I felt like you could still tr- you could trade Giancarlo Stanton. There's actually still some things to work with there if you kept Yelich, kept Ozuna, kept Real Muto, but they decided to strip it down to the bare bones. And look, when you trade stars like that, you should never expect equal value 
for for all trades when you trade four stars like that really realistically you're hoping is okay maybe two of them will work out okay for us and that's kind of what we're seeing um you know the ozuna trade they you know getting alcantara and, and galen back was was nice um i i just no one with the marlins should ever expect to get anywhere near equal value for christian yelich as much as brinson and harrison and you know, Diaz and Yamamoto have all reached the majors and maybe they can contribute a little bit. None of them have done a whole lot to impress yet. Um, but to suggest that they're going to equal the value Christian Yelich would have given them, even considering uh, the higher payroll obligation, that's just not going to happen. I'll get you out of here on this, wrap things up. Not coming at you. All right. I'm just going to lay that out in the front end here. Not coming at you at all. But Pottery's Twitter not the happiest with their own Kyle Glazer right now. And it's because of the NL rookie of the year voting, which is the one thing I think we cared about the most. And you went with Alec Baum. So I'm just going to give you a minute to defend your Alec Baum pick. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think the biggest thing, you know, one of the things that, that swayed me and, and just really looking at, and again, this was hard. All this was hard. Um, I mean, Bone in fewer games outperformed Cronenworth offensively. He had more hits, he had the same amount of home runs. You know, the slash line for Bone was higher across the board, but you can talk about, well, that's because smaller sample size. But the fact that he had better or equal counting numbers too um, was was something that, that was that was pretty big for me. And the other part of it too is we're talking about a shortened season and with that something that holds a lot of weight with me is being able to perform over the course of the entire season. Um, and, and Cronenworth really, really, really fell off the second half of the year. Uh, he hit 183 in September. And for me, when I looked at Bowman said he was, he came up a little bit later, but he was good start to finish. He, again, when you, when you out hit a guy and have the same number of homers and fewer games and your good start to finish, that's going to sway it for me as much as Jake Cronenworth did a ton for this team defensively. He's a very good player that we like a lot. And being at Petco Park, seeing the difference he made for this team, it was huge. And no way, shape or form is this suggesting Jake Cronenworth isn't a very good player. Uh, but for me, you know, seeing he hit 183, 275, 268 over September, which was essentially half the season, and Bohm was good the whole way through. Again, that that was something else that kind of pushed it in Bohm's favor for me. I think it means you hate Jake Cronenworth. I think that's what everybody's <laughs> no, thinking. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, this is a really, really good ball player who, again, I, I liked him when I saw him at AAA Durham. I uh, was consistently thought of as, yeah, this guy's a major leaguer. You go back and look at the grade I put on him in the prospect handbook. It was a, a potential everyday major league grade. And uh, he was even better than that. Uh, again, this is a really good player who the Potters should be thrilled to have, are thrilled to have. And uh, Potters fans rightfully love and defend. And I, I 100% understand uh, their frustration. Um, again, trying to evaluate a 60-game season this year is incredibly difficult i hope i you know no none of us hope to ever have anything like this ever again for reasons beyond baseball uh but just from a strict baseball and voting perspective and especially the nl rookie of the year field it was really really difficult to suss these guys out i'll say this anyone who suggests that it was a slam dunk in anyone's direction 
um, lacks a national perspective and is fooling themselves between Bone, between Cronenworth, between Williams, between all these guys. It was it was close. And that's, you know, we saw how many different guys get a first place vote. I think four of them. It's just, you know, the, I, I wish I had an American League Rookie of the Year vote instead because that one was way easier. Kyle Lewis, done. Yeah. No one else even close. This one, you had, you, you could make a case for, in my mind, five candidates. Some people have said six. This was very, very tough. That's all fair. And yeah, you made a good point. And I'm just giving you a hard time, obviously. I'll, I'll give you this question. I had a few different questions running into my head while you were going over all those guys. But let's settle on this. If you're going to build a team from scratch and your number one pick has to be one of these four guys, Devin Williams, Alec Baum, Tony Gonsolin, or Jake Cronenworth, who do you want? It's probably bomb. It might be Gonsolin. I mean, it is. Bo- I keep saying bomb. I'm so used to saying bomb, and I I heard him. He said it's bomb, right? So I I need to yeah, adjust Alec my. Baum. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, bomb was was. I mean, he's the guy. Who was you know. I mean, he's he's the guy. He he's the best hitter of all these guys. And again, people are going to obsess over the position, but I would implore you to look at your MVP winners yesterday. Or two first basemen, studs or studs. Um, yeah, I mean, this guy. This guy can hit. He's going to keep growing into power. Um, you know, I think that that's a foundational hitter type of piece. And Tony Gonsolin, I mean, <laughs> obviously uh, he did not fare well in the postseason when, you know, the eyes of the nation were watching him. Um, but, you know, you look at what he's done over, you know, 85 big leagues in it, big league innings now. He's got a, a 260 ERA. Now, is he that? Good. Again, there's, I think there's going to be some regression here, but I think he's a very good mid rotation starter, which, you know, and maybe he's more as he continues to, to grow and develop. There's a lot to like there too. But um, for me, the answer is Bowman and Gonsolin's the, the number two answer there. Gonsolin just seems like he kills the Padres. Every time I watch him pitch against the Padres, he, he has a great game. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he had that seven inning outing. I was there and wrote about it at Petco park. And I mean, the truth is he's, really good against everybody. I mean, yeah, yeah. you don't have a, a two six ERA over your first 85, you know, 86 and two thirds career innings just beating up on one team. He's, he's kind of beaten up on everyone except in the postseason. That was not good, but he'll be back and uh, we'll see if he continues to grow and learn from that experience. All right, Kyle. Thanks as always for coming on. Follow him on Twitter at Kyle A. Glazer. And you, you were promoting your stuff earlier. You want to just tell us again what you got coming up working on? Yeah, like I said, uh, the uh, top 10 prospects are uh, going up at BaseballAmerica.com right now. We wrapped up the American League East last week. We are moving into the National League East uh, end of this week and into next week. So keep an eye out on that and uh, make sure and pick up your copy of the Baseball America Prospect Handbook. We're grinding through it right now and uh, should be going to press here in about, about, about a month. You like doing those chats on Baseball America with a bunch of crazy fans who just you know, want their, their prospects have sunshine blown up their ass. I like talking to baseball. I mean, I, I enjoy, I enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's funny that sometimes people don't like my answer and they inevitably then like blast it on Twitter. And more often than not, they don't under, they don't actually read what I wrote. And then it turns out to be right. Um, you know, I, the, the two that come to mind, I remember a few years ago, I put Cal Quantrill ahead of Michelle Baez and people were freaking out. It's like, what? It's like, well, I've watched both these guys. I've talked to pitching coaches about both these guys. I've talked to managers about both these guys and scouts again about both these guys. Cal Quantrill has 
three pitches and control. Michelle Baez has two pitches and iffy control and Padres nation freaked out about that one. And well, no, it was right. And then the ultimate one case of people not reading what I wrote was, uh, you know, I mentioned Chris Paddock and, you know, mentioned his role could be that number three starter on a championship club, you know, and his, the way his pitch mix, you know, just in terms of how often he throws his curveball, how often he throws his change of fastball, you know, Kyle Hendricks is kind of, you know, the comparison there. I said nothing about his stuff, which yes, Chris Paddock obviously throws harder and people freaked out at that when in reality, I think a people didn't realize Kyle Hendricks has been one of the 10 to 15 best pitchers in major league baseball over the last three or four or five years. And they didn't read that. I was saying Chris Paddock could be a number three starter on a championship team. People took that as a weird insult when in reality, that was an incredible testament to just how good we thought he was. So I enjoyed doing the chats. I would. I wish that people would read the words in the response. Before, I think you're asking too much. You're asking too before, much. Before like putting a screenshot on Twitter and having a freakout. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, we're happy to answer questions, and we're certainly never going to always be right. But um, BA's got a pretty good track record, so I'd say use it as information as opposed to something to freak out about. And now Padre fans want Chris Paddock in the bullpen because he had a bad year. So it changes quickly. <laughs> yeah. Sports. And again, this is, this is exactly my point. Like what I, you know, what I mentioned before is, yeah, no, he's probably when all of a sudden I'm done, going to be a good number three starter and number three starters will have days or stretches where it's like, oh man, this guy looks really good. And I'll have days and stretches where it doesn't look so good. And it all averages out or evens out to that number three starter range. And again, I think that jumping ship on a young pitcher, young pitchers go through a lot of growing pains, a lot of growing, growing pains, um, you know, jumping ship on a young pitcher who, you know, had 12, not great starts in an abbreviated season a year after he was pretty good is kind of foolish. He, he needs to get better. He has things he has to work on, but again, he has a chance to be a really good number three starter. And if Padres fans thought he was a number one and are disappointed by that, well, that's all them. We've been telling you for years, this guy's a really good number three starter. And that's a really good pitcher to have. Now he looked better than that in his rookie year. He looked worse than that this year. And now I just have to see where it kind of evens out. Well, bless your heart for putting up with those people on the internet. Uh, it's the internet's a wasteland of, of, hot takes and irrational sports fans. So thank you for putting up with that. And, and us, I, I'll throw myself into there too, because I've been known to be irrational too. And I always enjoy your chats and everything you post on BA. So thanks for doing it and uh, keep up the good work as usual. And we'll have to get you back on again when we have uh, some more stuff to talk about. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you to Kyle. If you don't follow him on Twitter already, please go do that. Kyle at Kyle A. Glazer. He's a good follow and he's a, he's a local guy, support the locals here. And that's why we love him. And, uh, that's why he keeps, I think he's willing to come back on our show. So, uh, before we go, it's, it's the time for, uh, fading lock of the week. Maybe we have to rename and rebrand the segment fade of the week. Target locked. So I am, I've been shooting the bed basically all season, Tennessee last Thursday, gross, lost to Indianapolis and then Wade took Seattle plus one and a half. I don't know why he did that. Uh, terrible decision by him. So I'm one, four and one on the air. He is two and four on the air. If you're fading us, 
and you you should have been fading this for the last several weeks now. You are cleaning up. So congratulations to you. I've been thinking about Seattle again. I don't think Russell Wilson has three bad games in a row. And last week against the Rams, everyone was expecting a really high scoring game. Jared Goff, who I picked up in fantasy, is a streamer option because I have Mahomes on by. Not that you all care, but expected big things out of him. No touchdown passes. Russell Wilson, meanwhile, is watching his MVP hopes fade slowly week by week. I think he gets it back on track this week and they're back at home. And I, I do think that matters. So they're laying three points against the Arizona Cardinals. And the Cardinals are coming off kind of a miraculous you know, Hale Murray uh, win. I, I don't know. I kind of worry about letdown games. If you're if you're picking Arizona, I don't love betting on games where after something like that happens. Just, just I'm shooting in the dark here. I don't know, but I don't like you know that that huge wave of euphoria after that game. You're kind of I think there's potential for a letdown game after that. I'm trying to read the tea leaves here. So I I do like Seattle minus three. I also like Tampa Bay. Minus three and a half at home versus those Rams. So going back to the well with the Rams in Seattle. Um, I don't like West Coast teams traveling east. I don't think that's a thing anyone has ever liked when you're gambling. It, it matters. And if the Rams aren't scoring against Seattle's putrid defense, then I don't see them traveling east and then going up against a better defense in Tampa Bay. And Tampa Bay is clicking right now. They got it back on track. I knew they would. Kind of like Tampa Bay. Uh, so you can fade both. You can fade one. I'm taking Tampa, Tampa, minus three and a half, hosting the LA Rams. I may live to regret that. It's early in the week. We're recording this on Tuesday. So Godspeed out there if you're still gambling on NFL. And if you're listening to me, I don't know why. Although every week I feel very confident. I think we're going to bounce back this week. Tampa Bay minus three and a half. Thank you all for listening. Please follow the show's Twitter account at Friar Farm Hands. And if you enjoy the show, subscribe. We're on all your favorite platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please leave, please leave your comments, questions, concerns, and your rating of the show on all platforms. You've been listening to the Believe in Padres Prospects Podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. I'm Ryan Hart. Wait will be back next week. Talk to you all then. Your destination, though you may find from time to time. I like never have allergies any other time of the year. Like, people talk about, like, oh, spring and all that. Like, it's never happened to me. And for whatever reason, every year, like November, December, something happens where I just, it pops up. I don't know what it is. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.